like to read for you Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After He had said this, He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And we'll stop there. We talked last week about verses 1 through 4, and we spent some time talking about how there is a subjective reality to what we believe in in an objective reality. Facts exist about who Jesus is and what occurred in His life, but the subjective nature of our relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit is completely our own, and we must recognize that in the lives of one another and do our very best as individual believers to experience the fullness of the subjective reality of God in our life. He's given everything to have this relationship with each one of us. He didn't come and by mass say, I love you all because you're a human being, and I've saved you all because you're a human being. He comes and He says, By my mercy... Mark, I love you, and I've given you a life to live with me. Now, I've tried to imagine. I've, I, I, I did a pretty fair time in my life. Did actually live as though God didn't love me and I could have cared less. But when His mercies overcame me is when I began to understand This is really about something personal with me. And as we move through this, and as we move through our study on Sunday morning and Wednesday night in our study, we will learn, too, that not only is it a relationship that exists in me and through me, but it is for you, and it is for others. And so we we learn so much about that. And this is the the subjective nature 
of what it means to live in this promise that God has provided us at the moment that we trusted Jesus, and that is the Spirit of God. We're going to talk about some of that. And we're also going to talk about what it really means to be a witness this morning, and also that we don't need to get bogged down in the things that don't concern us, but that concern God. So let's look at this for a minute. Early on, Jesus says, look, you've got to go to Jerusalem, and you've got to wait there a few days, and the promise that I've made you, that it will come from God, is going to come upon you, because John's baptism was one of repentance. You've got to get things right with God. Now that you've done that with me, you believe me and trust me, the baptism that I'm providing you is one of power to do what I would have you do. The repentance part of your life is over when you understand what repentance is. Everybody should know what the word repentance means. It means that I have, it means to actually return. I'm facing toward this life of sin and brokenness and anguish and sorrow that never brings me anything but grief and is ultimately going to bring me death. I have turned away from that. I have repented and I've turned to this life with God now. This is the life that I have. Everything that I know and everything that I believe that God has for me is here And I will never go back there. That's repentance. John's baptism provided an opportunity to see Jesus for who he was as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who had come to save. And when that reality sinks in and we live by that, Jesus says, I've even got more for you. And the Spirit comes upon us. Now what does this mean for us today? We don't talk about the Spirit a lot. We talked about this last week in Baptist churches. We kind of got sidetracked about that, oh, I would say 1,100 years ago. Um, And we never got back on. In fact, it started out, when we read this, we understand Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times and the period that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be witnesses. And there's every indication... That Jesus means this. The Spirit is going to be yours because it's been promised to you and it provides great power to you for the purpose of this. To bear witness to who I am. Meaning that even though Jesus, we've turned our life from this life to this life and He's our only focus, He's our only desire. Everything about our life adds up now in the life of Jesus. We still will not have the power that is necessary to speak of him in the way that he must be spoken of. We will constantly want to go back to our human understanding of what this is all about. And we live in a world that tries to understand Jesus from a human point of view. And it's a broken, fragmented mess of who Jesus is. But those of us that believe and give witness by the power that is in us, that has been given to us by the Spirit of God, As the Spirit of God, we certainly do speak of the truth of Jesus Christ. It is what we must do because Jesus said, you will do it. So for the first 300 years of the church, it really became about witness and then it came about sanctification. Well, the Spirit's here to kind of clean us up, to make us right with God. And we kind of got away from the fact that the Spirit was here to empower us to witness And then later, after the Reformation, 
which happened in the 1500s or so. We had this thing or really begin to take hold at that time that, that the Spirit was a part of our existence to really direct us in how to understand the Scriptures and to interpret the Scriptures. And it's only been until the last 50 or 60 years that the church has really begun to speak again of the nature of the power of the Holy Spirit to give us to witness as to who Jesus is. I heard a pastor one day talk that this is how he believes that we're approaching a time where we've been in the end times, but we're at the end of the end times because we're finally understanding again God's purpose for the Holy Spirit in our life. It is to bear witness to His Son. In fact, we could go as far as to say is that ministry and witness should not be done by a Christian without a clear and expected experience with the Holy Spirit. I think we've seen evidence of this too lately, where we do a lot of things in church that really aren't guided by the Spirit, and it seems to bear fruit, but at the end it really isn't bearing any. The thing that always gives evidence of the Spirit is how His life is carried on into the lives of others. This ministry with the Spirit requires some things of us. It requires time. When was the last time you had a meaningful relationship with someone and you spent no time in that relationship? It's never happened. One of the, one of the greatest things about meaningful relationships is the time that we invest. People appreciate the time that we spend with them, the time that we're willing to give to them. To recognize that other things were put aside so that your time could be spent with me. That means a lot to people. It also means a lot to God. When we decide that we're going to set aside the time that is necessary to know Him and to grow in that relationship. And to appreciate the, the power that He provides us through the Spirit. And the mercy that we're able to live in under the Spirit. And the witness that we're able to give to Jesus by that Spirit we begin to appreciate more and more that the time that we spend with that bears dividends for our life. Martin Luther prayed for three to five hours a day because he was fearful of leaving even his cloister without knowing that God's Spirit was with him as he walked down the hall. That's wanting to make time. That's where God wants us. And it takes that kind of time to prepare to be the proper minister or the proper witness for him. Prayer is also required. Communication is required. The speaking and listening that we have with God. And we tend to talk more than we listen. We need to learn to listen. And that means being real comfortable with silence. Because God may let you sit in silence for days. Till he knows that you really want to sit silent long enough to hear him. We sit in the silence and listen. What is it truly that God wants me to do with my life for the witness of Jesus Christ? How is he going to make that happen? What opportunities are on their way? How is my life being shaped and the character of my life being shaped so that I can do that? And sometimes we just have to sit and listen to God. And say, you know what, Mark, you need to work on this. I can't do a thing with you 
until you get yourself out of the way. So we're going to sit and we're going to talk about this for a while. You ever feel that way, by the way? I'm using myself as an example today because I'm always having to face myself in the mirror when I prepare these things for you, for me. It takes time. It takes experience to minister with the Spirit of God. We don't just jump into this and say, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do, and God wants you to come along with me. That's not how it works. Experience is required. It takes experience to seek the Spirit in every situation in our life. If you've been in our study this morning, some of that was mentioned in your book today. But it takes, it takes experience with God to know what He's about to do next and how He's going to use you. Use the words that come out of your mouth. Use the actions of your life to declare who Jesus is. It takes some experience with Him to know how that works. What that feels like. What that looks like. What the results of that is. So we have to be willing to let him work in us and to lead us and to guide us and to sometimes be successful and sometimes make mistakes and sometimes fail miserably and think that we're the worst possible witness that we could ever be. You have to let the Spirit use those experiences to shape you and mold you because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You will be. And then we read this Bible. There's no way to know what really to recognize what the Spirit's doing in our life till we're able to see it in black and white when He's done in other people's lives. Man, we are going to look over the next year. You're going you're to discover, I hope, so many examples of how the Spirit of God was at work in the early church. How that's possible for our church. How it's possible for each and every one of us to experience the very same things that Peter and Philip and... Saul, who became Paul, and Barnabas, and Silas, and all the rest that went through this whole line of declaring the good news of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. We're going to examine all of those things, and we're going to examine our lives together and see how He's at work in and around us. So that we are not left wanting for direction. We are not left wanting for the power that exists for us. We are not left wanting to be able to say, how do we do the work that God has given us to do? It'll be as plain as the chains falling off of Paul in prison. He's going to set us free because we have sought out the Spirit among us. Now, if you're outside the leadership of the Spirit and if you're attempting to minister or to witness or to make decisions about those things in your own type of wisdom, your own type of understanding, your own limited point of view, because we are human, then what we should do is just stop in that moment and get everything in line with what the Spirit wants. So many times, churches will begin to do something, and it's all by human consumption, it's all by human design, and before you know it, a church is out doing something that they really have no business doing, or, or even ministers, and even Lay people that sit in those chairs. We make decisions without prayer. We make decisions without consultation. We begin to plan programs and this and that to try to make up for the ways in which we are not allowing God to, to use us. But we know that we have to accomplish something, even if it is by our own hand. 
And God is screaming the whole time in the ears of His people, Stop! Don't you want to know that I'm here with you? Don't you want to know that so much of what you're scurrying around doing really is not going to get the job done? Sometimes we just need to stop. We need to wait. And we need to take some time and honor the relationship that God has made with us. And start all over. There's a relationship with God that has come to us through Christ Jesus. There is a gift that He's provided us, which is His own very Spirit. And to rush around trying to do the religious things and forgetting all about those things is horrible in the size of God. It's contrary to everything He intends. We can do noble things and dishonor God. You know that? can do noble things. You can have a church that grows 16, 20% a year and do it in a noble way and God never be a part of it. Do you know that? That's possible. Especially possible in our churches today. If you've got the right program, if you've got the right technique, if you've got um, the most effective ministry, if you've got facilities that are impressive, people will come and they will join and they'll, they'll enjoy being there with you. And none of it may ever bring glory to God there is no substitute I want you to hear this this has been a problem in the modern church for a long time there is no programmatic substitute for the spirit of God working in each one of your lives you will never be able to stand before God and say well I never quite got the whole spirit thing but our church did a lot of good stuff he's going to say Well, I don't know what he's going to say. When you give your life to Jesus, he promises a gift that he gives to you. And God doesn't break his promises. And that gift changes everything for us. And if it hasn't, you need to stop what you're doing. And you need to examine your life with God and the Spirit. Just stop. You can't pray in that, in that situation. You can't do it. You can say a lot of words. You might have a few feelings, but you're not going to be able to pray. You could read your Bible, and you might discover a few things, but you're not going to be able to apply it. You've got to get things right in the way that you live by the Spirit when it comes to the work of God. It's been said that 95% of the church's work can, can be done and is done without the Holy Spirit. That's not good. Everything that the church does should be done by the means of the Spirit. We live in a world where people want a weekly dose uh, of religion or they want an entertaining worship experience or they want an experience-based theology where anecdotal stories and personal encounters kind of shape and determine what the life with God is going to be like 
And we forget that it is an experience with the living God through His Spirit, through His Spirit, that determines what our life is going to be like. Nothing can ever take the place of that nor change that. The life of the believer and the church, first and foremost, is created and established by the Spirit, alive in both, and expressed plainly through both. If we do life any other way as believers, then everything that we're doing is futile. Are you beginning to get the idea? This idea of the Spirit at work at us is non-negotiable. You cannot pass go. You cannot collect your $200. You just got to deal with the fact that God has given you something. And what it does every day is to remind us, am I following His will or am I not? Am I living by His power or am I not? Am I performing my duties as a witness of Jesus Christ or am I not? Because the Spirit's there all day, every day, and He's reminding us just about who we are. Now that can be a blessing or that can be a curse. It's a blessing when we are doing our best to live the way that we have been called to live by Christ and recognize that the Spirit gives power to that. It is a curse when we recognize that I don't give two thoughts ever to what Jesus has asked me to do. And I've never experienced a powerful moment with God where I've been able to show His love meaningfully to another human being. So let's get to work on the Holy Spirit in our life. And then Jesus says this thing. He says, you're to be witnesses. What does a witness do? If you go into a court of law, a witness is someone that has seen something or experienced something that they can testify to be true about a situation or a person. So that's what a witness does. Witnesses are very important to establishing the truth about what is going on about what decisions should be made as a result of what you understand about that truth. Well, we're no different when he says, you will be my witnesses. Jesus is saying to us, what you will go and do is this. You're just going to tell people who I am and what I've done for you. Edward Stanley, who was a missionary years and years ago, he was asked to preach at this convention. And he stood up in front of a lot of smart people all educated people, university people. And he sometime or other slipped his tongue, which I can't imagine ever doing. I've never misspoke one word in my whole life standing in the pulpit. And, uh, and he made up a word that he didn't really intend to make up, I guess, in the moment. And when he heard it come out of his mouth, he saw people snicker, and he realized that what he had done And he was like a deer in headlights and he froze and he looked at everyone and he says, well, I have just forgotten my whole sermon and I'm going to take my seat. And he said he began to walk away with his head almost between his knees. He was so embarrassed and he heard a voice say to him, he said, wait a minute. He said, don't you have He says, haven't I done anything for you? And he realized this was Jesus talking to his heart. And he thinks to himself, well, yes, of course you've done things for me. He says, and have the things that I've done for you, do you think they would matter to anyone else? He says, well, of course they would matter to everyone else. 
He says, so why don't you just stand there and talk about that? And he turned around and went back to his podium. And he says, on second thought, I think I have something to share with you. And he proceeded to speak for over two hours as to what Jesus had done in his life and how he had changed him. When someone tells me that they just can't share Jesus with someone or they have nothing to share, they don't know how, that's a vision of yourself that stops about right there. Don't you have anything that you can share? Hasn't Jesus done at least one thing for you that you can share? Is it the kind of thing that you would be ashamed of saying out loud? I could go on with 20 more questions, and I think you get the point. The witness that he has called us to be has no limits. Because his work in our life has no limits. There's always something to say. The other thing is this. Our witness has no limits. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. This message is meant for everybody. God hasn't uh, chosen any people that should not hear what has happened in your life because of Jesus. And it's also more than just geography that he's talking about here. When he says Samaria, Jesus not making a mistake. The Samaritans were not loved people by anyone that was Jewish. They were half-breeds that had destroyed the whole temple system in Samaria and uh, parts of Judea. And they were not well thought of by any means, by anybody. Kind of like, you know, they're dirty people. Half-breed dirty people. They've ruined their lives by the way that they've chosen to live. Let them rot. That's the way a lot of Jews thought about Samaritans. And Jesus said, you're going to go to Samaria. And you're going to tell people what I did. Because you may not think much about Samaritans. But he said, I gave my life for them and they need to know about who I am. So drug addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes and people that are living homeless in the street and, and schizophrenics that are walking around yelling and screaming at nothing. All of those people are people that need a witness as to how God has changed your life because the very words may change their life. Who knows? Jesus just said, go and do it. Just go and do it. Just go and be a witness. Any limits that you put on that are your own, I promise you. Because he has put none. There are no limits. You give witness to your life with Jesus. You know, that means one thing. Every day that you live with Jesus and experience him, the more you've got to talk about. Every day your witness becomes that much longer. After a while, you've got to figure out, well, I can't, I can't tell it all. I've got to figure out a way to say this in a way that's going to make sense to people in less than the three or four or five days it would take for me to talk about everything that Jesus has done for me. It's about you and your life with Jesus. It's not about following the Romans' road to salvation. As, as important as it is to know what Scripture says about salvation, it is, it is as important for people to know just what He's done in your life. That's real life. That's where the, what's the thing? The rubber hits, no, the rubber hits the road, not the, 
not the water hits the road. I never misspeak from the pulpit. People want to know the truth about your life, the truth of it. It means something. Look, if your relationship with Jesus didn't have power, then really, what, what, what are we talking about? Anyway, what, what, how does all this add up to mean anything? It does have power because you have been redeemed, because you have been born again, because everything about your life was baptized in the Spirit, and what was rotten before is no longer rotten. You've been made new. Not a do-over new, made completely and totally differently new. And people need to hear that. You become a witness to what you've seen Him do in other people's circumstances. Have you ever seen God work in the life of another person? Yeah. Yeah, you know, one, one way that it happened on a grand scale, for, for a moment in time, you could take a snapshot, is right after 9-11. Does everybody remember? You remember how God took that tragedy, that terrible thing, and He filled His houses of worship with people. Who were wanting answers. It didn't last long. It didn't last long at all. And I wonder why. What, 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 what happened in that? What caused people to come searching for that? And then they just left all of a sudden. There was some good preaching that happened during those times. I listened to several preachers at that time larger churches that just they nailed it they nailed everything about that event it was like God ordained words that had come to these guys and they were just making such sense about the senselessness of this and how God was in it and how life could be changed because of it but people didn't stay I think they didn't stay because Maybe the people in the church that were there already weren't living it enough for them to see that there was a difference. I don't think it had anything to do with the message of the time. I think a lot of times people got there and it says, oh, well, this is just how I remember it. We've got to be ready to give witness to everything that is happening in our life, to all the circumstances that are around us, and point people to God each and every time. That's what a witness does. We also give witness to what we learn about in this Scripture. This is the beginning and end for us. We need to know what this says. We need to be able to bear witness to what this says about our risen Christ the one who has suffered for us, it says. And after having suffered, was raised. And after having been raised, gave further instruction about what that meant for the kingdom of God. We need to know how to share this so that people will be able to see and know and live as a part of the kingdom of God. This is part of our witness. The last thing that he deals with in this passage is that we need to get moving. <clears throat> there were two things that happened before all of this. One was they asked, when, meaning time, when is going to be the time that the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel? 
Okay, so Jesus is talking about other things. He's talking about the kingdom of God and all that that means for them and him being present in it. And then they want to know about this earthly kingdom that they've still got on their mind about how Jesus is going to establish that. Okay, so Jesus doesn't deny that that's ever going to happen. He just says, what in the world are you worried about that for? He says, knowing the times and knowing that the events that belong to God, that's God's business. That's not your business. I've given you a job to do, and you need to do it. I want you to listen carefully. I want you to be witnesses. I'm going to give you the power to do it. Just go be witnesses. Don't worry about these other things that seem to distract you. Don't worry about them. That's God's business. This is your business. Now, isn't that great? He sets us free. I mean, it's fun to, to talk about, and it's important to talk about. But it is, not, it is not part of the work that we are to do as a church. The work that we do as a church is to bear witness. That's what we do. That's what we've been given the power to do, and we should use it to that end. The other thing at the end of this where Jesus is lifted up in the clouds, and that all of this is a picture of, of great power and authority. Not temporal power and authority, but transcendent power and authority. This is God's, this is God's man that he's bringing back. And they're all standing there, and they're looking, and they're, it says that they're, that they're looking, and then the last word says that they're gazing. It means that they are transfixed. Wow. Haven't ever seen that before. That's kind of the way they're thinking about this. They're almost mesmerized by the whole event. And these two guys show up and says, Men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here staring up at the sky? Get busy. Okay? You got work to do. You got things to do. You can't stand here looking at the stars, looking at the sky. The same Jesus that you saw leave this way is going to come back the same way. And it's doing the same thing that Jesus said. Don't worry about this. This is God's deal. He's got it. I've given you one thing to do. I've given you one thing to do. And that's to do what? Y'all can answer me back. Yeah, be a witness. That's right. Be a witness to what He's done in your life. Now some of you may be thinking, I don't, I'm not really sure how to say those things. I don't know how to express that to another person. That's why we come together as a church. This is a place to train and equip you to do what God has sent us out to do. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We help one another develop exactly the things that we need to recognize how the Spirit is working in our life, how we can allow that, how it's happened in me and it can happen in you. And we studied in Scripture about how God has worked in the lives of these people in Scripture and He can work through us in the same identical way. All these things happen here together as His church. And when we separate ourselves from that life, we are making ourselves less effective as witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, We failed. Doesn't mean you're going to die and go to hell. It means that you have failed your Lord. And I don't think any of us want to do that. I really don't. So 
So what's next for you? Jesus said to wait. Doesn't mean we wait idly, but we wait. We wait for the Spirit. Is the Spirit a reality in your life? That's the first question I have to ask. Is it the power that you live by? Is it the vision that shapes your, your, your life? Is it how you see other people? Do you see people the way the Spirit of God sees them? Are you ready to act in the lives of those people in the way that God would, would act in the lives of those people? Are you willing to take the risk that is involved in all of those things? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves before we step out and begin to do what he's asked us to do. Are you able to, is, is there, a, is there a, just a, an overflowing in your life about what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Can you just speak about it freely like you would be talking to a friend? Or is it really something that if somebody came up and asked you about it, you, you just would struggle with what to say and we really wouldn't know how to take the, the kind of aggressive approach to find that out about your life? If that's the case, you need to just stop what you're doing and and get the right kind of relationship with God that will allow you to do that. This is called being free. <laughs> he wants you to be free. Are you willing to do that? Because it's going to change your life. You're not going to be the same person to other people as you were before when you start letting God have this kind of activity in your life. People are going to see you and they're going to know that that's you because they're used to seeing your face and all that. But you're going to be a different person. And they're not going to quite know what to do with that. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But you can overcome that by saying, look, yeah, this is who I am because, uh, man, I've, I've, I've developed such a rich relationship with Jesus in the past few months or days or years of my life that this just changed me. Lo and behold, you're being a witness. You see what I mean? what Jesus meant for us it's how we be Christians it's how we be a church and it's what he wants for each and every one of us let's pray together we pray in a moment when